the Talent Experience Podcast featuring authentic conversations on the future of work. Empowering you to better understand and deliver a best-in-class, future-proofed career experience. For more insightful conversations, visit talentexperiencepodcast.com. We hope you enjoy this episode. Hello, I'm John Holland, and welcome to the Talent Experience Podcast. Today's desk is my friend, David Creelman. David is CEO of Creelman Research, based primarily in Toronto and partly in Kuala Lumpur. He's internationally recognized for his clear and pragmatic insights on the role of human resource function in business and his cutting edge research on the latest issues and challenges facing HR. This insight was honed over the decades working on projects with organizations such as the Corporate Research Forum in London, the Works Institute in Tokyo, the Kronos Workforce Institute in Boston, the Center for Effective Organizations at the University of Southern California in Los Angeles, and the Hay Group, both in Toronto and Kuala Lumpur. David has also collaborated with leading academics such as Henry Mitzberg in Leadership Development, Ed Lawler, who wrote Built to Change, and John Boudreau, who digs a lot into the future of work. David's books include Management for Scientists and Engineers, Why Managing is Still Hard to Get and If It Will Get Better, The CMO of People, Manage Employees Like Customers with Peter Navin, and Lead the Work, Navigating a World Beyond Employment with John Boudreau and Ravan Drithsusanen. G. Susanen. Okay, sorry, I always get his name wrong. But David won the Walker Award for his work on boards and HR and spoke at the World Bank in Paris on ISO standards for HR reporting. Much of his current consulting involves helping HR professionals add analytics into their real work. And you can find out a lot more about David and his work at creelmanresearch.com. So David, how are you? Yep, no, I'm good. Everything's sort of going along smoothly. Great, great to hear um, and uh, glad to be chatting. Um, let's get started. And let me just ask you, there seems to be a big focus right now. We were chatting about this a little bit last week on employee training, reskilling and upskilling. And you hear a lot of talk about it. But as someone who watches this pretty closely, what are you seeing right now? Well, I'll, I'll tell you a personal perspective, which is I've gotten frustrated with most traditional learning uh, and, and by traditional, I mean, quite a broad range of things And I want to tell you the fundamental issue that's bothered me is that typically training is seen as we've got some learning objectives and we're going to pour some information into people's heads and then we'll test them at the end to see if they have uh, accomplished or we have accomplished those learning objectives. And that's the standard model for doing things. Now, in my work with Henry Mintzberg out of McGill and uh, Dr. Jonathan Gosling out of the UK, they question this approach to learning, that the idea that learning is that we're pouring in information. And and they suggest really we should be trying to draw out information from people, Uh, and particularly when we're talking about managers. Now, uh, and John, apologies if I'm going on a bit too long here, but just let me illustrate with a point. If you're teaching someone how to use a particular machine, at that point, you're probably pouring knowledge and, you know, do A, then do B, then do C, and then the machine will work. But for so much of the training we're really interested in, in terms of being a more effective professional, being a better manager, uh, we're really far better 
drawing the information out of people by getting them to reflect on their experiences rather than us trying to download a lot of information which they often don't remember or can't use. Well, you know, I, I wonder about, you know, these terms, uh, reskilling and upskilling are fairly new. Um, is it really so different from normal training or do they really have different components to them? Because you're seeing right now a lot of talk about people in saying, oh, we need to reskill our workforce because, you know, skills they have are, you know, within two years that they need to get a new set. I'm here at HR Transform in Las Vegas. I just heard them talking about that this morning, that uh, someone's skill set only lasts about two and a half years before they have to be re-skilled again. I mean, what's What's your take on that? Because I, I know you've you've done with training a lot, and I'm trying to get a sense of what's the big difference between training and reskilling and upskilling and all of these different terms now that are that are so new in the current environment. Yeah, and I don't think the terms are particularly helpful. I, I think the important concept is people need to be continuously learning, and I think that is true. There's a lot that's changed, and there's a lot we need to learn. I don't like the framing of it of that, you know, we need to reskill them or we need to retrain them. Uh, we need to create the conditions for learning, but it's, it's very much on the individual to continuously learn. And you see, just for example, when we went from in-person work to remote work, there was a whole lot that people needed to learn everything from the kind of technology to how they manage virtual interactions to how they balance their life uh, working from home. People learned that by and large on their own. It wasn't that we had to reskill them. We just had to create a supportive environment where people would learn and, and, and encourage learning. So uh, while I, I fully agree with the idea that people need to learn continuously and we should create an environment that supports learning continuously, I don't think that reskilling is a particularly new idea. And I like the idea of putting the onus more on the individual than the idea that the individual is going, or that the corporation is going to tell them what they need to learn. Do you think that organizations are really serious about this? Because I, I told you the story about my younger son who was working um, in the car industry out in Southern California, where we live. And how they were, when he was working on his MBA, he was working part-time at, at this car place and they were giving him all sorts of training. And I was surprised because companies traditionally over the last, I don't know, 10 years haven't done training much um, unless it was pointing somebody to a website or a video or, you know, a, U, a YouTube or something along those uh, lines. So of course, when he was ready to get a, get a real job, they didn't have a real job. And he took all that training that they'd spent for and took it over to another auto industry co company. And uh, he is ha happily working there uh, there now. But when you talk, when, when I hear about this upskilling and reskilling and all of these sort of training related things, I wonder, are companies really, truly serious? Is this something that because of the pandemic and the lockdowns, over the last two years, they've sort of had, you know, a moment where it's become clear to them that they need to do this, or is it really a lot of talk that's not really followed through with action and more importantly dollars, or is it something else 
entirely. Yeah. Well, by, by the way, your son's story is very interesting. It just points to the kind of disconnect that happens in organizations where they say, we believe in training, we believe enough, we're going to fund it, and they roll it out, but they don't connect the dots in terms of who they're training for what and what jobs they have. But actually, good for them that they are providing that training and put to good use someplace in the economy. But to, to me, there's enormous variation between organizations and how seriously they take training. And there, there are a lot of org- almost all organizations would say we believe in upskilling and training and a learning environment, but many of them don't invest in it. And actually, it's often more about not investing time as opposed to not investing money. It, it's not so much that they're not willing to pay for a, a training program as they don't really want people taking time off work or the organization me, and I've seen this quite often, or an organization will pay for learning, but then the person doesn't show up because they're just too busy. So again, it's a, a, a disconnect between what the organization says is important and, and how they act on a week by week basis. How important is training, reskilling, upskilling in retention, in retaining employees and uh, making them feel, feel like they have a really solid career path in the organization that they are currently in? Yes, let me, first of all, it's not going to replace things like having competitive compensation and having a, a reasonably friendly work environment. So, so uh, let's not pretend that, oh, well, we're going to treat people badly, but we'll train them. Uh, but I, I think it's very important and it doesn't necessarily need to be connected to a career path. I mean, it's ideal if people see there's a career path for it, but people generally are just happy to learn new things. There are many, many people who find it highly motivating to be continually exposed to new things. So I think it is, you know, as we say in HR, the employee value proposition, I think it is part of the employee value proposition that if you're in a workplace and you're continually exposed to new things and you get a chance to learn, I think that does in fact play an important role in retention and motivation and and keeping people energized. Are you hearing more from your clients on this topic? Well, you know, it's hard to say because it's not a uh, statistically random sample by any means. True. Uh, so, but uh, so, I, so I don't know if there is, is more or less, but there certainly is. I think, and there always has been quite a bit of interest in training. I think people are not always particularly... Uh, thoughtful about how they deliver that training. Um, So I've seen people do things like they say, well, we're just going to get LinkedIn learning. And it almost feels like they're just ticking a box where they can say they've done something, not that they've really thought about what's going to be most effective for their people. No, no particular, no particular offense to LinkedIn learning. It's just, it's one of the well-known and popular ones. True. I, well, that sort of leads to, I was going to ask you, what advice would you give to a organization that, that suddenly seems to get the light bulb to go off and are going to make a big jump. They, they talk about wanting to make a big jump into training and reskilling and, you know, doing all of these, these things. What kind of advice would you give them starting that out um, so they can continue to make it last well beyond the initial excitement stage? Yeah, well, I think one of the most important things is to focus on this idea of carving out time figuring out how much time you can realistically carve out and making that a clear commitment uh, and and measuring that commitment. So I know IBM at one point said every employee has to have 40 hours a year of training. 
and, and that was compulsory. Now, frankly, if you're an IBM in that kind of environment, 40 hours a year of training is nowhere near enough. But the, but the point of having it sort of written in stone that there's 40 hours compulsory training made it easier for people to carve out time where they say, I, I need to be spending time learning. So it, it creates some time and it also creates the, the culture. It sort of demonstrates that, yes, we do believe in setting aside time aside for training. So I might start with being realistic about how people are going to find the time to take training. Um, and again, I, I think I might actually focus on having managers involved in developing their employees uh, so, so that so there's a real tie-in between what managers want from employees on a day-to-day basis in terms of production, uh, but that they'll also be judged on what they've done to help that employee develop. You want to make that part of their job. And I think, I think managers, again, are motivated by that. Not only are people motivated to learn, they're also motivated to help other people learn. So that's a lever you can pull is uh, people's desire to help develop others. Well, I've been seeing too uh, data and studies that sort of indicate that companies have finally woken up to, hey, we've got all of these people in the last two years haven't been particularly great. They've been chaotic in many ways. And um, we have a lot of people who desperately need to be trained because their skills just aren't up to snuff in what we need now. Um, now, you would think that they would have been doing that sort of training all the way along to keep the people up in skills. But when you have people working remotely and, you know, sort of um, the whole office culture has kind of, I don't, wouldn't say it's completely gone away, but it's certainly been battered. Um, uh, how do you deal with that? You know, because uh, that's a that's a big thing. And, you know, and, and I am, I'm seeing studies saying half of the workforce, two thirds of the workforce in desperate need of training or else we're going to have to go out and rehire all of these spots. Yeah. Well, I mean, by the way, on the remote side, I, I've done lots of uh, remote training and I think it works very well. And in some ways, remote training can be uh, better than in-person training. So that's just on the remote side. Um, I guess I wouldn't uh, panic in the organization. You know, I can imagine up at the CEO level and the board level hearing this, oh, we've got to reskill half our people and all this kind of thing creates a lot of sort of unfocused anxiety. Uh, and I, I really just want to get down to the uh, department by department, sort of manager by manager level and just figure out uh, you know, where are the big issues and, and why are we not addressing them? And if somebody needs to, well, in fact, I was talking to somebody in demand planning the other day and she needed to learn to use pivot tables. So once that need was clearly identified, she just went out and learned pivot tables. There, there were uh, people she knew who could help her. There are YouTube videos online. She can play around by herself. So that was a clear skill set she needed, a very specific skill set that she needed. But it didn't require some kind of revolution. To, to make it happen. She just needed to have knowledge of what she needed to learn, some space to be able to learn it and the self-motivation. So if I'm a CEO, do I, and I want to really make sure that my workforce is training and learning and growing, um, do I have to make sure that we have a training manager dedicated to it? Or is that a function that HR can handle as part of their portfolio? 
Yeah, I, I don't care whether training reports directly in through a chief learning officer to the, the CEO or if it goes through HR. I would tend to have it through HR because I, I see it connected to all the other things HR do. I mean, John, you're an expert on how people move through careers, succession planning. <laughs> That's all related to training as well. So I could, I'm tempted to have them in the same department. Uh, but the, maybe the thing I would focus on is that I really want sort of leadership led with the training manager providing expertise and support, a center of excellence. Uh, I wouldn't try to pass it off and say, well, we're going to run the business, you do training. And I, I wouldn't want those two things divided. Well, David, you know, these things always go really quickly and we are getting towards the end here. And so there's a question we ask everyone who comes on the Talent Experience podcast, because at Feel 50, we wholeheartedly believe everyone should have a job that they really are passionate about. So, David, what do you love about your job and what you do? Well, because I do a lot of uh, research and writing, you know, as well as the consulting side, and, and because I don't have a boss, because I'm my own boss, I've been able to pursue the topics that I'm interested in uh, to as deep an extent, basically, as I like. And, and that it also involves collaborating people with like Mitzberg and Boudreaux and Ulrich, and it's such a privilege to be able to work with them. And, and it's a mechanism for me to pursue these interests. Uh, so I've got some of the fun of being an academic without any of the responsibilities. Well, David, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today on the Talent Experience Podcast. We really appreciate you being here. Thank you, John. So for the Talent Experience Podcast, this is John Holland. Thanks again for listening. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Talent Experience Podcast. For more talent experience and future of work conversations, visit talentexperiencepodcast.com. Follow us on Twitter at TalentXPodcast. Or join the conversation with hashtag Talent Experience Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, or Twitter. The Talent Experience Podcast was brought to you by the fabulous Fuelies at Fuel50.